when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, feelers, and welcome to week three of Book to Movie Month, starring me, Patch, and my good luck charm, Aaron. Hey, buddy. Hello. Good luck charm here. <laughs> and you could, you look good. Good luck, Charm. It's good stuff. Yeah. This week, we are looking at the 2012 David O. Russell hit Silver Linings Playbook, starring Bradley Cooper and, surprisingly, uh, Oscar-winning Jennifer Lawrence in uh, what may be arguably her best performance. And I use the word arguably very, very boldly <laughs> because uh, I think that my counterpart may have something he, you know, either in agreement or dis- disagreement based on some recent viewings, like uh, a certain movie that you uh, you went to go see. Well, you're leading me right into it, so I guess I will talk about it a minute and say yes, I do think that she was much better in Passengers, Patrick. <laughs> no, uh, I jest, I jest. Patrick and I love Passengers, though. So, you know. Whatever. We think she's great, and we think she's great in that. And I actually do think she's pretty phenomenal in Silver Linings Playbook. But at the same time, I kind of was taken aback when I heard that she won Best Actress. I, I knew that she was nominated, but I, for some reason I'd forgotten that she had won for this one. And watching this again now for the second, second or third time, I don't remember how many times I've seen it, but I know I'd seen it before, I both simultaneously really respected her performance in this but at the same time i just don't it doesn't scream you know best actress to me and maybe that's because she's not the lead of the film uh, you know for me it's kind of more like a supporting role maybe that's my beef i don't know but the film that you are referencing patrick is darren aronofsky's recent release called mother exclamation mark and yes it matters um no, I don't know. If, I don't know if the exclamation mark matters or not. Can, can I can I just stop you real quick? I was reading an article on Mother, one of the thousand that are out there, and there was a great title. It said, "Are there any jump scares in Mother?" That was one of like the related articles, and I love it because it because at the end of the sentence, you know, it was it was saying, "Are there any jump scares in Mother?" Exclamation mark, point, question point, question mark. <laughs> question mark. So it's, it, it looked like whoever wrote the article was yelling at me. <laughs> well, yes. When people talk about how pretentious Hollywood can be sometimes, and they like to use that word with Darren Aronofsky especially, um, and understandably and rightfully so, that's the kind of thing right there that makes people feel that way. Because every time a writer has to write about this film – it's really, really difficult. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Every time I make a post about it, you know, and I want to continue my sentence, like it's in the middle of the sentence, it just looks dumb. It looks so stupid. <laughs> Mother, exclamation mark, lowercase, and, and then continuing on. Uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's just like a middle finger, you know, to, to us saying, hey, I'm going to make this hard for you. But so here's the thing. This film is getting all kinds of crazy, crazy reviews. Um, Before it came out, it was seen by very, very few people. And the the initial reactions were, this movie is going to make you hate movies like this. It's going to, or you're going to hate this movie. You're going to hate Darren Aronofsky. 
people are going to walk out of the theater. They're going to stomp their feet. They're going to be angry. They're going to say this is, they want their money back, that this is, you know, the worst film they've ever seen. All these, like, incredibly hardcore statements, which usually are hyperbole, right? Or hyperbole, sorry. Usually they're hyperbole. <laughs> Don't that you laugh at me. in December. <laughs> <laughs> the hyperbole. I love it. We should, we should, uh, we might have to do something with that. Um, so most people exaggerate a lot when they use words and phrases about like, this is the worst thing you'll ever see. So I went into this very reluctantly. I actually missed the press screening. I went to see it later on a Thursday night and on opening night. Uh, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to get into. I, I thought kind of thought it was going to be a horror movie. It wasn't really a horror movie uh, in, in the normal sense of the word. It was, it was more of like a psychological horror, if anything. And Patrick, I have wrestled with this thing now for, you know, four days now, I guess. And I think about it more every single day. It just talking about it makes me kind of get excited. I want to hear people's opinions and thoughts. The thing that I will say about Mother is that it has some imagery in it that will trigger many people. And it will trigger people in that way in which they do get up and they walk out of the theater and they are angry that Hollywood would allow such depictions to be made on a movie screen. That being said, those depictions and that imagery is part of an incredibly larger allegory that is being used throughout this whole movie. And I had no problem with it. Was I, was I kind of ill stomached by it? Absolutely. Did I enjoy watching this movie? Not really. I told people I actually kind of love it, but I did not have fun watching it. And that is a weird feeling to have. It is a weird place to be. And I have wrestled with my rating of this film and what I think about it. Uh, I'm excited to go see it again. I, I need to see it again because I, I, I gotta, I gotta go through this and, and figure it out in, in some way that, I can feel like I get it enough. I right now I do get it, but I get it in like four or five different ways. And and that is what this movie does. It's got so many different interpretations that you could walk away from it thinking it was entirely about say religion or environmentalism. And I could be like, Oh yeah, I guess that's the case. But for me, it was all about an artist artist creative process and, you know, a marriage crisis. And we would both be completely right. It is, that is brilliance of artistic filmmaking to me. It is pure genius. And so whether people like it or hate it, I cannot deny what he's crafted. That being said, it's also not really a story. (laughs) Like it doesn't really, the point A to point B thing, you know, it doesn't really work. It doesn't like have an ending where you go, oh, okay. So that's what happened. No, no, that's not the way this thing is. So it is, it's crazy, man. It is, it is nuts. Um, for example, I would never, ever th- suggest you go see it. I don't think it would be <laughs> anywhere near up your alley, but there I am, you know, still kind of talking about it and, and loving it despite all the weirdness. And it's, it's, it's not, it's crazy. It's a, it is a unique experience for me in film and it gets a lot of points for that. So I guess that's my sort of pseudo mother review for our show. 
<laughs> well, it definitely won't be a dual one because I won't be seeing it. But <laughs> you mentioned the word experience, and I think that's kind of what it sounds like you took away from it was that it wasn't a movie more so than it was an experience that you were an observer for two hours. And the things that I've read about it, which I think I think there is some value in movies that spark discussion that can lead to other conversations. And I've seen that through our, through our Facebook group and I've enjoyed reading that and reading some of the offshoot ideas that are, that are being, that were, that have been and continue to be expressed. But it sounds like this is more than anything else, an experience uh, more so than an actual like story that's being told. Would I be, somewhat close or at least in the ballpark. Oh yeah. I mean, it is the, the allegories are so strong and this is, this is some other people's have this criticism that it's too strong, right? It's too on the nose. It's too obvious. But you know, I, I remember walking out of it and the first half, I didn't catch on to some of the, some of the certain ways in which this was an allegory or metaphor until later in the film. And so I had a very specific, experience with the first half and I, I read this movie one particular way I did not pick up on all of the little things that were were being shown and, and the little pieces fitting into the puzzle and I was explaining this to a friend after the fact and he actually had a wow oh my gosh moment and he's like I never even saw that but you're absolutely right and so that's what happens with this movie over and over and over you could say that and be completely right about what experience you had with it, what you took away from it. Whereas someone else could be completely right about theirs and it's entirely different and, and, and it's entirely different, uh, as far as what it provokes in them. Like mine was kind of a, I I watched it and I, I get a lot of positive things out of the first half of the film because I see it as a cautionary tale. Right. Mm -hmm. But others parts of this film I see as, almost an attack on, you know, my religion in a way. Um, and mm. not that that's necessarily depicting it incorrectly. Some, some of it's not, but there it's, it's something to wrestle with. And so people that are discerning enough to go see this and go through that experience, that word again, that roller coaster ride with it can be really rewarded because it is technically incredible. The way the, the movie is shot, the cinematography, the sound, there's almost no music at all, and every sound is um, enhanced. So you hear every creak of every step behind you in the speakers in the theater. You hear every deep breath and every sigh loudly in your ears uh, from Jennifer Lawrence. It's, it, there's so many close-ups on her face catching the nuance of her her feelings and what she's going through in this trauma. And that's why I think it's, that's what you were alluding to earlier. I think this could be her best performance. Um, it's definitely up there for me. Okay. Well, if you haven't seen it, I'll just leave it at that. Yep. There you uh, go. Listeners. If you there, <laughs> yeah, take that for what it's worth. And then you have to decide for yourself. Um, no right. one's gonna, no one is going to tell you, you should go see this movie. So if you do go see it, do so knowing your own heart and your own, stomach um and be forewarned (laughs) (laughs) i guess well in the meantime we can uh move forward with a movie that i think a lot of people should see because we 
I would say we both enjoyed it. And that's uh, our movie of the week, this uh, Silver Linings playbook that from here on out will be completely filled with spoilers because you can't really have a fantastic discussion without a few spoilers here and there. I know you're feeling it's kind of give some great discussion with, uh, without the spoilers, but obviously that's not the the method or mode of the show. So be forewarned that we will be spoiling the heck out of this like we always do. And with that being said, here we are with Silver Linings Playbook. Aaron, I am glad we got to pick this one. I'm glad this made our cut for book to movies. And uh, as a side note, I, I think we've talked offline about how we should probably make this an annual event because there are a lot of great book to movie adaptations. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what our next round will be in 2018 potentially. But for right now, I wanted to ask you, this is obviously one that we've both seen a, a number of times, at least twice. And I wanted to kind of get your uh, your kind of vantage point perspective. How was it this time around for you? Well, I remember really enjoying this movie. At least that was what I had, what I thought, you know, in hindsight. I went back and before I watched this again, I looked at, well, I take that back. This this happened later. So I, I remembered going into this, I remembered very, very fondly. And I remember specifically liking the performances quite a bit. Well, shocking. <laughs> Both were nominated for, for Best Actor, Actor and Best Actress and won one. So I guess I wasn't the only one. Um, but I remembered the Eagles and the strong uh, usage of the sports metaphors throughout. Um, and then I, I couldn't remember what particular mental illnesses the characters had. But I knew that there was, there was something going on that was making the characters unstable mentally and that there was this emotional romance. So I didn't, I didn't remember all the details going into it a second time. And I was excited about seeing it again. And, uh, and I watched it and I really enjoyed it, Patrick. I, I do like this movie quite a bit. Um, I enjoy the relationships a lot. I enjoy how I relate to this film from the perspective of not having gone through a lot of relationships that are quote unquote easy. Uh, and, uh, and so I, despite myself, what I, I don't know that I would say I have a mental illness. Others may disagree, but um, you know, I, I could put myself in a lot of these situations that are shown in this film. And that's the kind of movie that gets me feeling really, yeah. really strongly. So, I liked it. I had fun. I smiled. I laughed. Uh, and then, you know, when it was over, I went and I looked at my previous rating and I was like, Oh, three and a half. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a very good movie. Um, but I thought it was higher. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Right. People, people had been telling me online, Oh, this is my second favorite film of 2012. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I looked back on it and I think I'm still in that same zone. To be honest, uh, there was nothing that blew me away, uh, mm -hmm. but, it's a solid story and it's a story that we don't often get told through these characters, right? These are mm -hmm. characters that are not normally shown in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, and specifically when they are shown characters with any kind of mental illness, it is definitely not a romance. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so for that man, I, I think it's very special because it gives us something that we don't have other than it. And it does right. it in a really good way. And I guess yeah. that's my kind of, hot take on it. Um, but okay. what about, what about yours? Cause this was your pick this, this, in fact, 
if I if I'm remembering right now, I'm looking through thinking through the list of movies that we did this month, and many of them are your picks or were yeah. mentioned by you. So and next September, I'm gonna do a lot of the picking, but um, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but no, this is I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm curious why why this one really stood out for you and how it held up. Well, in a lot of ways, this was a a companion book that was inspired by its movie that I wanted to read the book adaptation or the the original source material from the perks of being a wallflower. So both of these were, I'd seen the movies and was really curious about the book to see what was the story in, you know, in written form. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt. So you read them after. Yes. I read the books after watching the movie. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, which will be different from next week. So I'm gonna give you a spoiler for the outsiders. I actually, you know, this was, that was a book that I read in high school and then promptly watched the movie afterwards. So, well, that's a plus the, two for you on me because I haven't read it or seen it. So okay. It's well, a great. New um, one completely. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad we have <laughs> good stuff there. And, uh, you know, for warning, I hope you love it, but if you don't, that's okay too. Positive <laughs> honesty. That's who we are. <laughs> but I remember, I think it was on Tron legacy that, I tried to sum up the movie in one word, and I think I said it was energy. I think that was the word that summed up. And I'm trying to do that with all the movies that we cover because it helps me get to a place where I understand the why, like why I enjoyed this or why I enjoyed certain parts of X movie or whatever. And for me, the word that comes to mind is unapologetic. And it lives in the characters themselves. It lives in the dialogue. It lives in the overall story. When I'm watching this, the appeal to me is that I'm watching this story play out in a way that doesn't feel conventional. And the the way in which Tiffany and Pat talk to each other is so matter of fact. And no filter. It, there, there really isn't. There's no filter. There's no edit button. And to me, that feels very honest, at least on the surface. But of course, we get into more of what they're dealing with, and they start kind of rounding themselves out with each other, and we get more depth with those characters as the movie goes on. But that's what's appealing to me, is seeing that growth through what I would consider an unconventional means. You could call it mental illness, but I really just call it a dysfunction at this point, because there are other relationships that I've seen portrayed on on screen and in life that are kind of like Tiffany and Pat. And they're not related to mental illness. It's just people that know how to talk bluntly to each other <laughs> and don't really care about how they say things, even though there is a cost socially, emotionally, and whatnot. But that's really what draws me into this because you can throw humor in here and there. You can throw uh, different different kinds of levity. You can throw genuine – there are obviously some great lines that we'll probably talk through in light of some of these themes that we pick up on that could only be done in a movie that uses this unapologetic tone throughout the throughout the film that there's there's sincerity that lives underneath that there's humor and there's genuine love that that lives underneath all that all that dialogue so i was kind of drawn into that and the book didn't disappoint either it had the same kind of tone it just went into more detail about different different things but but yeah, that's why I really enjoyed it. I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It's between three and a half and four for me. Not a masterpiece or anything like that. But I, I didn't find a lot of like fault with it. like nothing. Kind of said there were there were a couple of things that I wish 
David Orosa would have left us to kind of figure out those. And those are the only kind of beefs that I have. Like there's a, an aha moment here and there. And I'm like, well, I kind of wish I would have figured that out myself instead of having a character say that to me or say that to themselves. But for the most part, this time around, it was a really, really great experience. I, I picked up on a little bit more that I didn't pick up the first, uh, the first couple of times that I've watched it. And that's always a plus for me when you can find more that you enjoy that at the very least validates your, your appreciation of a film like this. And the accolades are definitely merited. These were good performances by both Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, as well as the rest of the cast too. Yeah. I think the rest of the cast needs to be mentioned because Mm -hmm. honestly, this is one of De Niro's best performances in years uh, in this new, like De Niro phase where he's in nothing but, you know, comedy dramedy or dramedies and, (laughs) and comedies. And he's kind of older and he's just, it's a different time for him, obviously, but I really love him in this. And I think not only the performance, but his character is extremely underrated maybe by a lot of people. Uh, As far as he's not talked about Uh, in most of the conversation I hear when this movie comes up, it's always about, you know, Pat and Tiffany characters with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, but there's so much going on with his dad and Mm -hmm. it informs Pat's character in so many ways. I mean, like majorly so that I think he does a fantastic job. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Chris Tucker is in this. Gosh. Sometimes I forget so that Chris good. Tucker, I, I don't even know who he is, right? Because he was in this uh, swing of movies in the in the 2000s, you know, Rush Hour and some of these, <laughs> like all these crazy stuff. And he showed up in this one and I was not expecting him this time around. And I was like, wait, what is, what is he going to be doing in this? Mm-hmm. And, Oh my goodness. It was, it was just, it's, it's a very small role, but I feel like he's so important. Uh, his character's Danny, right? Is that his name? Yeah. 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 I feel like he's so important in this movie and I just, it, it's a different look for him, you know, like his brand of, it's funny. Cause he always plays like some sort of level of crazy Yeah. in movies. And so you would think, oh, well, this is going to not work because he's just going to be normal Chris Tucker crazy, but he's actually less Chris Tucker crazy. It's, yeah. and it's what, it's because it's realistic crazy. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, and I, 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 let me back up there because when I say that, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're talking about mental illness here. So, um, I'm, I want us to be careful, I guess, with the way we, we use the words, but I, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that, mental illness is crazy in a sense. Um, but the way in which his character is played is very realistic in nature to me. And that's one of the things I love about this movie is I don't feel like the characters are super exaggerated. No. And there's this sense of restraint that O. Russell uses with that, that concept. It reminds me a lot of a movie that Juliette Lewis plays, uh, the other sister, uh, in, alongside, uh, Giovanni Ravisi. And both of these guys have, um, you know, a mental handicap. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're a little bit, um, gosh, I don't want to use the, uh, mentally challenged. There we go. I'm trying to be politically correct. I know <laughs> I am too. I want to. So, but but I mean respectful. that in the most sincere sense. And it's very restrained because it's not meant to be the thing. Like it's meant. Yes, it is, in a sense that it's 
what they have. It's what they're experiencing and life kind of revolves around that capacity. But the, but the spotlight is on them as a, as a couple, them as two people. And the same thing I think exists here in this movie in that David O. Russell is not calling attention to mental illness as a whole. I think what he's doing more than anything, and Chris Tucker is a great example of this, is he's calling into question what it means to be normal and defining what normal is. Because here we have three characters. Let's take Tiffany, Pat, and, and Danny, who have been clinically diagnosed as having some kind of mental illness. That's a safe thing to say. It's been clearly, you know. But then we look at other characters like Pat Sr., you know, played by Robert De Niro in what is clearly a great role, you know, that he played, mm-hmm. who is a, a bookie and he's trying to open a restaurant and he thinks that Pat is his good luck charm. And then we have his lovely wife, Dolores, played by Jackie Weaver, who I adore. I think she's fantastic in this. And I would love to be in a family that every... Every week, uh, my mom would make crabby snacks and homemades. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I could I could live in that family's house. I, I would be fine holding the remotes like Danny does, you know? And I think we look at all these main characters, with the exception of maybe uh, Dr. Patel. Um, is that right, Dr. Patel? Yeah, Patel. And it got me thinking what does it mean to be crazy? Or what does it mean to be normal? Who's actually the crazy ones around here? In fact, there's a line that, that Pat says, it's pretty incredible. He says, he says, maybe Tiffany and Danny and I know something that you guys don't. I don't remember what scene it's, it's in, but when he said that, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe they know, maybe they're living in a different plane of like in, intellect and all these things that may spur on this idea that they're not the crazy ones, or at least the identity of being crazy is very fluid. And I think this movie really calls that into question mm-hmm. because it looks at who the quote normal people are and it exposes them for the, just the issues that they deal with in life. I mean, it's one thing to be superstitious. It's another thing to put that on a person and say, you must be here on Sundays and you must sit in this chair and you must hold this rag because I believe that you have good juju and it's funny for sure. And I've never necessarily been that guy, but I have experienced this with a person in particular who after a certain event during a football game refuses to uh, answer his phone during future football games because of, (laughs) because of something that happened. Like there's this crazy superstition and I don't know. It, it's funny to talk about that, but at the same time, Silver Linings Playbook actually kind of gets us to a point where we ask that question, hmm, are they the only crazy ones? Or is there something else going on here? What do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think it's 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 quite intentional that that is mm-hmm. what is going on and that he is using football fanaticism, particularly, as you were mentioning, as a it's it's a framing device for the craziness and the obsession that we see in Pat (laughs) and, uh, and then, you know, some of the transparency is what we don't ever get from his dad, uh, and some of the other characters. And that's, that's one of the things I pull out of this in a big way is that Pat and Tiffany are both extremely open. They, like we said, no filter. They say what they think 
they do what they feel and they they desire and it has consequences uh in the real world you know and yet they're contrasted by people who try to cover those things up and try to um pretend that things are different because that's the norm or that keeps the peace and it doesn't go so well for them either right i mean here's his dad who is this bookie you know who his obsession is literally to the point where it is tied to his family's well-being he has placed Mm -hmm. his family's well-being in his fanaticism uh and that's a complete mirror to me of what of how pat has become how he is right right like you look at his dad and you go oh well no wonder <laughs> like mm-hmm. no wonder your son turned out this way um and so yeah i just i don't i think that that's something that we're supposed to really pull out of this movie is that mm-hmm. it's not necessarily them that are crazy and us that are normal uh, it's just that we are all interacting with each other in the world in different ways. And the more we understand each other and where we're coming from, mm-hmm. and the more we can try and work with each other versus against each other, right? We're not, we don't necessarily need to change Pat. Um, but Pat's. Me- past behaviors are not necessarily what has to change. The reason for the behaviors may need to change. The reason is he's desiring an ex-wife that he shouldn't be desiring because there's really nothing there anymore. Right. It's Mm -hmm. or are they ex-wife at that point, by the way, or I don't think they're actually exes yet. I think they're separated. I think they're separated, but regardless, he's, he's trying to get back this thing that he shouldn't. It's not, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about the fact that he's so obsessive about it. Does that make sense? Am I? Mm-hmm. And so, it does. so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly that they are not the only quote unquote crazy ones. Um, there's a, there's a famous quote by Jack Kerouac that specifically says the only ones for me are the crazy ones. <laughs> um, and I love that because it's actually used in a positive way. And he's talking yeah. about, you know, that's that makes people unique and special and different than maybe the ones that are crazy or the ones that are acting like robots every day. Mm. And I think what what this movie does, the story does, is it allows for people to experience less about what one person is and one person's not and more about the exposure of everyone having this life that is messy. And I think that's really one of the bigger themes of the movie is the fact that life is messy. And we can kind of, you know, put that statement in almost everyone's life. Even, I, mean, I don't know about Pat's brother who has that one moment that I, I would have probably slapped him to death. <laughs> you know, he said, you've got this life, you know, you're, you know, you're living with our parents and I've just got this house. And he's making these really terrible, like, talk about someone with no filter. He's basically saying, here's my great life. And, you know, here's your kind of crappy life. I think with the exception of him, everyone in, and and maybe he's hiding stuff too. I don't know. We never get enough of his character to kind of flesh that out. But 
I think when we when you talk about this robotic way of going through life and hiding what you're really doing, what these guys are probably really doing is hiding the messiness, hiding the fact that life is tough and, and that's okay. And the relief that we get from Pat and Tiffany's relationship is the fact that they know life is tough. Tiffany's dealing with a husband that died and Pat's dealing with a broken relationship that he wants desperately to get back. And they're so honest about it. And so this film kind of portrays a sense and I don't completely buy into this idea, but I understand it, that being honest helps healing. That being open about things and really owning up to that stuff and being raw, maybe not necessarily to everyone, but being raw with yourself helps in that healing. I can get behind that particular idea. I think when you start kind of throwing other people out there, when you start, you know, when you finish an Ernest Hemingway book and you yell an obscenity and then you start yelling at your parents on why you don't like the ending, there's, <laughs> that's probably not dealing with it in a healthy way, but such a phenomenal scene. Oh, I love the scene. And it's the second reason why I don't like Ernest Hemingway right there behind the fact that he writes really short sentences and I just, ugh, that frustrates me. But that notwithstanding, I think that as the movie goes on, we start to see more of these characters and they become relatable, not only to each other but also to us because we start to realize and i'm gonna say we i think i i start to realize that the messiness of my life is equal in different ways not in terms of like the actual things that are happening but in the ways in which the fact that my life is just as tough and just as good as somebody else's that i'm not the exception to the rule and then if I have mental illness, that doesn't make me the exception to the rule. Maybe that just gives me an out to be able to be a little bit louder and a little bit more obnoxious, a little bit less filtered than the next person. But I, I feel like Silver Linings, Playbooks, Silver Linings Playbook gives us permission to admit the messiness of the life that we have and the goodness that comes from that. I think there's a line that Tiffany says that's so great that she says, there's always going to be a part of me that's sloppy and dirty, but I like that with all the other parts about myself. And then she challenges Pat. She says, but what about you? Can you say that about yourself? Can you forgive? I mean, it's so right there, perfect. Just summarizes, I think, what the movie's trying to do. And it's saying it's okay to have a life that's filled with some hurt and, and, and with some you know, yuckiness because that's what makes you who you are now. And, uh, and, you know, this coming from a person who is, quote, crazy. I mean, that's probably the smartest thing that's probably said in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely my favorite quote in the movie. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> I love everything about it. And you're not delivering it quite the way it is in the film. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I don't. I, this is why I didn't get the Oscar nomination. Which is fine. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that that, you know, that is the scene that, to me, screams, okay, like, that's one of those Oscar-type blown away moments of acting for me and you know she's not doing anything that normally i would think is so super special but she delivers it in such a, a crazy way like she's she's screaming it at him right and she's cussing at him and yet she's delivering this incredible truth bomb at the same time uh, and and so we have to look past the method of which the words are coming out somewhat and we have to like take them for what they mean, and uh, and she's she's absolutely right. And this is this is where I 
relate to slash resonate with this movie the most personally is this idea of messy relationships. Um, you know, basically because my life has, has been a series of them, um, over the course of, of myself being an adult and, uh, and, you know, much of that being my own doing and not something we're going to, we're going to go into on the podcast. But that being said, it has, and it has informed everything about how I view relationships going forward, much like Pat and uh, much like Tiffany. And so for me to see characters, quote unquote, with mental illness or not, that embrace and acknowledge that that's okay and that it's going to take work and it's going to take forgiveness and you can still get through that and have relationships. It's inspiring to me because what the world says, what the normal people say, and I put up air quotes for that is that messy is bad. Search for the perfect person. Go online to match.com and ensure that your new date meets all of your criteria before you even actually say hello to them. There shouldn't be any messy. There shouldn't be any baggage because you deserve perfect and easy, but that's not real. And the problem is when people run into that, they collapse underneath that because they're not, that's not what they think they're there to handle. Uh, and yet the the relationships that succeed and last lifetimes are the ones that that go through this messy parts and and come out unscathed largely because at some point like she says you've got to learn forgiveness you can't be selfish and it can't be all about you um and you've got to be able to to let people make mistakes and not crucify them over it over it for lack of a better term so I love that part of this so, so, so much. Um, and I think that it's one of the lessons, if I was going to talk about it in that term, that people can take out of this movie that's very, very positive. Yeah. I think that where I, where the film gets more elevated for me is that, or the story, because I mean, this happens in the book too is the fact that it could just stop there. You know, the, the story could be about dealing with the messy life that you have because your life is good. Your life is good. And just, it's okay to not be okay. And that's definitely a message that I've heard before. And in a lot of ways, it can be a message that is kind of worn as a badge of honor that, hey, I messed up. You know, I live in a world that's just kind of cruel. Uh, you know, recently... Even uh, just earlier tonight, I was watching the Emmys and, you know, political affiliations aside, you know, there was clearly a, <laughs> an agenda by people as they got up and accepted awards towards uh, the state of our country and particularly the, the leadership involved. And I, I look at that and I know that the world we live in is a mess, but at the same time, I think what we what we need is something that pushes us forward. And that's where I think Silver Linings playbook gets elevated in a way that another movie that might do this or another story that might do this doesn't is that it looks at a world of hope. It, it, it resonates this idea of the power of hope 
And in two ways. One, how that hope changes a person and how that hope changes over time, how that hope can shift from one thing to another. And for, for Pat, the word that he latches onto is a word that just stays with me. And that's the word excelsior. And if you actually look, I looked at that, I looked up that word. I did too. <laughs> and, and I believe my, it's a Latin word, onward and upward. It means ever upward. Yeah. Ever upwards. Yeah. Move forward, moving forward. And as much as he probably didn't like the fact that it was <laughs> what the national motto of New York being an Eagles fan, he lives that. He embodies that, that when he says Excelsior, what he's meaning is I'm moving forward. Uh, there's a, there's a great line where he basically says, uh, he says, um, guys, I'm beating the song. I'm on the scoreboard. I'm playing downfield as he's running out the door. And there's this overwhelming optimism that he has. And I almost, in my notes, I put after that, I put Excelsior with a lot of exclamation points on it. Even though he didn't say that, I felt like he was thinking that and he was feeling that in his heart. And it's not just about optimism. I mean, it's one thing to like think positively, but I think Pat's attitude and the way that he looks at life changes how he sees the world. And he still has slip-ups. I mean, he has that moment, that that breakdown with the book, and he has that... Um, that moment where he's trying to find his wedding video and he ends up hitting his mom and then his dad just wails on him and stuff like that. But there, there's one thing that's constant and there's this, it, it's not about him trying to stay normal or not be mentally ill. It's about him holding on to that, that, that hope that says, I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to get this. The interesting thing is, is that it changes. And I feel like by the end of the film, he does get what he needs. It's just not what he was seeking to begin with. And that's important too, that hope doesn't have to be stagnant. It doesn't have to stay with one person or with one thing or with one goal. Hope is something that I think is the sustaining power of hope is that it can always change because it's always moving you forward. And that's where I think the power of his character really, really is elevated is in that that way of thinking and as an extension, the word that he uses Excelsior. That's good stuff, man. Um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely spot on and I don't think it's just Pat either. I think right. there's a great scene of his dad crying and he's, he's crying because he so badly wanted Pat to watch the game with him. Mm-hmm. And the reason he wants that is because that's how he connects with his son. And I feel like, Throughout the movie, we see this from his dad. We want, he's wanting Pat to, you know, part of it is this obsession that we talked about, but I think that's extremely strongly underlined by his desire to connect and be, have a relationship with his son. And so he keeps hoping that by doing these things, by bringing him into this, get him into the same thing that I'm into, then I can have that relationship with him. And so I, I definitely think it's it's a it's a common theme throughout. Uh, the great thing, for sure. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I was gonna say, but the great thing about that scene is that I I called attention to the crazy part of it. That Pat's dad coming to him talking about the giants and needing that father son time to strengthen that luck. Like there's this weird uh dichotomy that lives in that conversation where Pat Senior wants to spend time with his son, but there's this ulterior motive that mm-hmm. It's because he's a good luck charm. And so I had trouble really saying 
yes, you really want to spend time with your son. No, you don't. You really just want to win this game. And so that tells me a lot about Pat Sr., that he doesn't really know how to connect with his boy. He, he has this common ground, but he sort of skewed it with something that becomes more selfish than anything else. And is that bad? No, I don't think it is. I think it's more of a, an observation of exposing these two guys for who they really are. Ultimately, I think they both need each other, not as good luck charms or whatever, but I think that it's a, if, if the game, if the football game is a, is a common ground for them, it's just gotten mismanaged. It's gotten mishandled and maybe misinterpreted. And so where Pat was connected with his dad through that time, he's now become something else. And I think that's something that I think we'd hope maybe after the, after the story ends that that relationship between Pat senior and Pat junior, uh, kind of grows out of. And I think we get hints of that with some of the, some of the, the last couple of scenes. So there's definitely hope in that. But, but I think I, that's what I, I love that scene because of its dichotomy, that we still see selfishness, we still see an ulterior motive, but also a sincerity because I think he, his dad wants that connection for more than just one reason. Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think that that goes for all, a lot of the characters too. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that probably we could find ways to, apply that to Tiffany as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even, you know, probably his brother <laughs> to be honest. So, um, yeah. One thing that I was curious what you thought about is just there's Pat has this plan and this strategy in getting his wife back, right. And mm-hmm. getting Nikki back. And, and that's what this all stems from. This whole movie stems from that. That's the main plot. And there's there's instances where we see him kind of go against that plan, and both of those times he's with Tiffany, mm-hmm. and he really wrestles with with this idea and is his if his plan is not going to work out, and is he should he choose to risk being broken hearted in the unknown, or does he continue to fight for this what he believes to be a sure thing with Nikki, and for me, I really resonated with this as well um having gone through broken relationships where as a as a personality trait i have a hard time letting go for a long time a period of time uh and so i guess i i saw pat struggles i saw myself in pat struggle with this because i feel like he's fighting at this point much more for what i would call a perceived safety or per- perceived familiarity, there's there's a safety in that. There's a comfort in that. Like you said, there's a lack of, like we said, there's a lack of risk. And I'm wondering, though, is that, I, I guess what I'd, I'd ask you this, Patrick, is what do you think about Pat's relationship with Nikki and his choices? Do you think he should be fighting for his marriage? Or do you think that the way that this film ends up with a happy ending and him saying goodbye to Nikki and choosing Tiffany is the right choice. Well, first up, let me just say that rock and roll is a risk and we risk being ridiculed. Okay. Oh, sing the, street. Here we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> so any conversation that starts with that is bound to be a good one. You know, as a, as a, as a fan of marriage, as a, as a proponent of 
the the wonderful challenge and wonderful life that marriage can be. And Pat would agree with me because he preaches that to his his best friend. Uh, I think it's um, I can't remember what his name was. Rain? No, I can't remember who it is. Pat's best friend. Yeah, the guy, the guy that who, Danny. who's married. What's it? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry oh, not oh. Danny, but um, his other best friend, <laughs> J- Jake. Yeah, I think it's Jake. Yeah. Anyway, married to Veronica, Julia Stiles. Anyway, we see a progression of that relationship where he clearly doesn't want to be in this relationship. He feels smothered. He feels kind of completely neutered. And by the end of the movie, he's the one preaching to uh, to to Pat about just how you got to fight for that. You got to fight for for marriage because that's what Pat is is kind of feeding to him. So in that regard, yeah, absolutely, go after Nikki. The thing is, we live in the world of Silver Linings Playbook, not in the world of of Patch. Okay, and this kind of goes back to the perception or the appreciating the world in which the author is creating. Uh, as opposed to the worldview that that we live in, what I can appreciate is the fact that I believe Pat and Tiffany have a genuine relationship that grew out of their struggles, and that they grew closer together. And it wasn't just it wasn't just a a love, you know, I'm in love with this or I'm in love with that. But at one, not just at one point, but at several points, I feel like we saw Tiffany get him, like understand him. And we saw him understand Tiffany. Mm-hmm. And so those moments, I think, validated what I believe should have been the, quote, correct relationship that that happens at the end. And while it would be great to have gotten back with Nikki and how all these motives, everything that he was doing, losing weight and getting in shape and reading through her syllabus was all for her, he was never connected to her relationally. It was all these do's, all all these like actions that he did to make himself, appre- you know, be appreciative towards her. I mean, the things he was saying and doing and genuinely motivated to do for her were great. You know, I'm trying to be less like this, and I want to make sure I don't criticize her for that. I'm going to make sure that she knows that she's loved. These are all things that I completely support in a relationship. But the thing is, is that the movie is and the story is really articulating the relationship that you have in that moment and the relationship that you build as a result of that to me. And you could argue that was he cheating on Nikki? Absolutely not because they were separated and maybe they were divorced. I mean, we never know that. And maybe that's a, I think maybe that's probably good to have that ambiguity because it kind of raises this kind of question. Did he make the right choice? You know, somebody who's wanting to fight hard for a marriage suddenly gives up on it after a, a (laughs) 5.0 dance routine no, I, I don't think it was cheapened by any means. I think that that throughout the whole movie, we he earns that relationship that he gets with Tiffany. I completely agree with you, and I think that you explained it perfectly. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you did. I actually, I didn't know how you were going to respond to that, so that was kind of one of those like throwing it out there and see what happens. But I actually feel <laughs> feel extremely similar, and the scene for me that really does it all is when Tiffany comes into the house after the game has, has gone awry and the bet has been lost. (laughs) And this was almost my connecting point. And she just starts recounting all of the times the sports teams won when she and Pat were together. And Mm -hmm. so to me, 
I've always been a firm, firm believer and staunch supporter and promoter of the idea that love is a verb. Love is action. And this, to me, is her exhibiting that very thing. She was connected to him in a way that made her remember all of these details about the time she spent together with him. It was that meaningful. And so as funny as this scene is, as like mic drop awesome as it is with her kind of owning all of the men in the room. If, if there's another Oscar worthy scene, like this is it right here. And she's just telling him how it's going to be and setting up this, this, this bet. And then the way that she just stands there in the background afterwards, like with her hand kind of on her hip, like sideways, like she's just like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, like, all right, you guys, I told you I was going to work. Um, but anyway, the moment, that moment with her explaining all of those things, it's so subtle, but it tells you everything you need to know about how, mm-hmm. how she truly cares for him. And yet we never see a single moment or single action by Nikki to try and reconcile the relationship. There is nothing other than a restraining order, which is the anti <laughs> like trying to reconcile a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because of that dichotomy between those two characters, I think it points to us to the fact that his, his, his relationship with Nikki has been irre, irrevocably broken right it is it is no longer what it was and so the one with tiffany is the right one in my choice in my or the right choice in my opinion as well yeah it's a it's it's a favorite scene of mine and i love the exclamation point that she puts on it by just drinking a beer you know she finishes that whole thing and you just see her just take kick back a bud light oh it's awesome it's it's just and what's great is seeing Pat's response to that. It's like, you know what? She, she's right. She's right. To me, that that's a that's like the first moment that I feel like they're a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, and not only does she know so much about him that she's observed so much about him that she's put that time into not just trying to find a partner for this dance recital thing, but also a partner that I think it's the first time we get to see her truly stand up for him. And there's a moment that not, it's not the first time, but it's, it's a significant time that she stands up in front of his family, which I think is a huge deal. There's a moment that he does the same thing for her. Um, he comes up to her parents door and he says, Hey, is Tiffany home? And of course they think that he's a creep because you got all these guys coming over for, because of her past. And I love how, he deals with the creep with the business card, which I thought was hilarious. He had a business card. Are you kidding me? And he just, he doesn't get violent. He just says, Hey man, you know, this isn't what you need. You don't need this. No. I mean, she's, she's different. I mean, did, did, did you know, she didn't, you know, she didn't call you and whatever that's, and you see her around the corner, just kind of give this half smile because she feels fought for at that point. And I think that we get that first hint right there of her feeling like I'm not who my past has defined me as. Even though she yells at him and says, these are parts of my life that are messy and dirty and I'm okay with that, she still wrestles with that. And I think we get the first hints of the fact that she's starting to feel genuinely cared for. And that's a powerful thing, man. I mean, when you are 
then you are sticking up for someone, not just as a friend, but as, as someone you deeply care about. That's a huge, huge deal. And I think her returning the favor in front of his family was, was phenomenal. Yep. I completely agree. Did you, did you have any criticisms at all? Because I, I have one and okay. specific one. And I, I'll say, I don't, you know, obviously based on our conversation, I don't think either one of us believe that this is true. Um, or that was an intention of the filmmakers or the, the writer, the author. But I think if you're not watching this with a discernment and you're just kind of taking it at face value as a love story, there could be potential to misread this as somewhat of a magic dance heals mental illness ending. Mm. And I, I don't think that's true because I don't, what I'm, what I'm, curious about is what happens with pat at the end right mm-hmm. it, the end there is no ending to this all we know is that he professes his love to tiffany and so are we to believe that now he is quote unquote healed and better because the movie never addresses that and that's that's a minor quibble for me because i i don't i i guess i i i do understand it and i know that why our relationship is not about what happens to his mental illness. But when you're going to use it as a plot point and a character trait for the entire film, I I would have liked a little more. I think, I don't know. I don't know what I would have liked, but it just, it hmm. didn't sit with me. Right. Do, do you feel that at all? Or am I? All no, right? oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see the dance as a magic, anything. I thought it was exactly what it should have been. Just, the dance itself with all of its just sporadic moves and dynamic changes, I think was a personified version of their relationship with each other, just explosive and completely almost un just uncontrollable at times, which made it entertaining to watch. But to me, I think that we got enough of their connection, not as mentally, uh, mentally, disabled what's the word Uh, mentally ill people but as people that understood each other on a different level in the during the dinner scene with with her sister and they're talking about the different medications that they've been on and how they were just laughing each other oh yeah you've been on that one great what i love about that scene is that it helps inform that last moment with them at the end because i don't think this film was about mental illness i think mental illness gave them common ground. And that conversation, I think, was a playful way of establishing that, saying, okay, you're like me because we've had to kind of deal with this kind of stuff. We never, I guess we, do we ever find out what Tiffany's mental illness is? I think we, we get a glimpse of what. No. We know what. We know She's what a slut. Oh, but that's not a mental illness. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, okay. what, that's the only thing the movie tells me is, right. is about her that would be. But, we know there's depression, obviously, because postpartum, yeah, part. not postpartum, uh, but yeah, depression uh, based on PTSD type depression based sure. on the loss of her yeah. husband. Yeah, and we know that that Pat's bipolar, obviously, and not not just because of his actions, but because of it's actually been said. But when we get to the end and we get to that dance scene and we get to how the film sort of wraps up, I didn't feel dissatisfied by any means. I mean, he says, "I'm sorry it took so long to catch up. I just got stuck," and I don't think that movie is trying to say, Hey, your mental illness is cured. I think what it's trying to say is 
you're better together, that you make each other better people. Um, to, to, to quote from, um, I don't know, the Jack Nicholson, <laughs> you make me want to be a better man. You know, that kind of, it's, it's that kind of idea that separate, they are both dealing with their own stuff, but together they're able to strengthen one another in spite of the limitations that they have. They really do kind of fill in gaps for one another. And I think the, the little scenes afterwards kind of help enhance that with them just talking to each other. The, I don't know if he ever says this, but I love that Sunday is Pat's favorite day again, but for completely different reasons because Sunday was the day of the dance. Right. And Sunday was the day that he told her he loved her and gave her that letter and how it has a different meaning. Uh, to me, that shows a really cool change in him. doesn't necessarily say that he's never going to take his pills again or that now he's going to be healthy. It just means that he's going to have a more solid foundation with his relationship with Tiffany. And not because she's mentally ill either, but because they work together. Yep. I... Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I agree. I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily saying that I. I don't like the dance. I like the dance. I don't have a problem with the dance at all. By the way, I. I think. I. I really like the the line also that the announcer says. Why are they so excited about a five? Well, it's because <laughs> you know they have their own definition and their own terms of success. And I think that right. that's a very another very inspiring and and good lesson to take out of this movie is that have your own terms for success. They yeah. don't have to be what someone else puts on you. It's, yeah. it's what it means to you and what matters to you. But yeah. anyway, that aside, I think that was great. Well, we've talked through as much stuff as I think we can, but um, I wanted to go ahead and push us into the connecting point because I'm excited to talk about mine. I've, I've anxiously avoided talking about this because I think it's it's my favorite scene in the movie, but also my connecting point. And those aren't always um, together. They can be mutually exclusive, but for this one, it's definitely, um, they're both one and the same. So if I can begin, if that's cool, or do you want to start? Completely cool. Go for it. Okay. So the moment that I connected with the most would have to be the tail end of the date at the diner. And there were so many things about this scene that just made me smile. First of all, that he ordered Raisin Bran and she ordered tea. And he was like, why'd you order tea? And she's like, cause you ordered Raisin Bran, you know? And then she starts eating his Raisin Bran. Really fun stuff. And he goes to this whole dialogue that is, I mean, awkward at, at best in having her describe her past sexual history. And she says near the end of that, like, I think he offends her in some way. And she goes, you may not have experienced this that I did, but you loved hearing about it. Didn't you, you are afraid to be alive. You are afraid to live. You are a hypocrite. You are a conformist. You are a liar. I opened up to you and you judged me. And then she says, you are an a-hole. And what I love is how she looks at him after this, watching him be attacked by the song in front of the, the movie theater. Um, and then she sees him just kind of just, just being attacked. And, and her follow-up lines are, she, she actually, she, the, the look in her eyes, the expression on her face is the first time I think we see her genuinely go, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And she rescues him. She rescues him from the police officer. And then she says to him, what are you going to do about that song, huh? You're going to go your whole life scared of that song? It's a song. Don't make it a monster. 
there's no song playing. And what's great is that this scene could have ended with her leaving him there or him running away, but she comes to his rescue and then has the ability to speak into his life in order to stabilize him. And I think this is the first time that someone you know, else has talked him down from the ledge. This is the first time that I think we really get a genuine connection between her and him. We get the first moments of her kind of being vulnerable with him and him kind of being vulnerable with her. And to me, that sets the tone for how their relationship continues to grow. Um, I think that if the scene hadn't happened, I don't know if the other moments with them would have been as genuine. I think they would have been funny and maybe had some kind of heartfelt moments, but I don't think they would have been nearly as impactful to me. So that is by far my favorite and, and most connectable moment in the movie. Man, that's good stuff. I, I really like that as well. And I, I, I like the first part of it, especially I, I know that you're <laughs> connecting East, you know, even more so there to the end, but um, just the whole raisin brand thing and the, the, the first date kind of cuteness mm-hmm. and, and seeing how that plays out with their men- mental states versus what would be my mental state, you know, and the, and what I know to be a first date, the way that I would be completely on edge and nervous and over careful to make everything perfect and make, make this person like me, you know, and yet again, we get that brutal open transparency with no filter. This is just Gosh. who they are. It's just it makes awful. me, it makes me jealous and it makes me crave that and wish that I could experience that, you know, in my life more frequently with yeah. people that I meet and people that I interact with. Like I want that. Um, it I reminds wish... me a lot. It reminds me a lot of the opening scene in social network when Mark Zuckerberg is just exactly being with Erica. Honest, with Erica. Yes. And it's like, she has the cojones to basically say, stop talking. You're not. And we get that same tone, but it's a completely different reaction yeah. because yep. they're both like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, for me, man, there was there were a lot of great scenes and a lot of great quotes and little little snippets and moments that I, I thought were, were awesome, and I've talked about some of them and how I resonated with them just on my personal relationship history. But the scene that made me smile the most and brought out pure joy was the Eagles pep rally. And it's, it's just this very simple kind of moment, but it, it doesn't last very long. But they, they go to the pep rally. He's supposed to be there as a good luck charm for his dad and there's this period of time you know he he sees the doctor there he's not expecting to he's with his brother they're they're together they're not fighting and everyone is unified everyone is happy and they are they are celebrating something that they have in common and that's the first time that i really feel like this has happened in the movie at this point because they just they've they've all been on different wavelengths so to speak uh winning different things wanting each other to be different and and for that moment they are all there together and it reminded me how much something like sports or a shared interest can just bring us together and you know they all have these relationships outside of the game but for that period of time they're able to put those issues and those frustrations aside and all be eagles fans that's all they are in that moment and so it's, it's almost like a, a catharsis uh, type of outing for not just for Pat, but for his brother specifically. 
And so the fact that this scene concludes with Pat getting into a fight, I, I really like how this plays out because we know that he's trying not to do that. Everybody's talking about how you shouldn't do that, Pat. You shouldn't do that. Can't get in a fight. Can't get in a fight, right? But he doesn't get in a fight for the wrong reasons. He's not getting in a fight because he's actively going after Nikki. He's getting in a fight because he's protecting his brother. He's standing up for his brother and his therapist, and he puts himself at personal risk because he goes through the process. He sits there and rocks back and forth, and he thinks about it. He knows what he is doing. He knows that it is not a choice he needs to make and it could lead to, to to negative consequences and he makes that choice knowingly and earlier in the film I don't see that from him I see him operating much more on impulse and in this moment he thinks about it and he says nope I'm sacrificing what could be myself because I love those people and I need to protect them in this moment and so Everything about how that scene played out for me, it was like the turning point, I guess. And it, and it worked really well as a turning point because after that is when they get home and, you know, Tiffany comes back and gives that awesome mic drop moment speech. Yeah. So for me, that's where I connected most with the film, uh, oddly enough. <laughs> and, it, and it surprised me, but I really, really like that scene. Doesn't surprise me being a sports fan like you are. So I guess that's true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You know. Yeah, I definitely agree one. about this idea of common ground. And I love, love, love the fact that his therapist was there. Uh, this is somewhat of a spoiler for the book, but you find out kind of early on that his therapist is a is an Eagles fan. But I love how the movie kind of brings that in at that moment and surprises him like you're an Eagles fan. It's like today we are brothers. We are not. You're not. I'm not your therapist, right? And so it's really, really good stuff. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you, uh, you brought that one up. Hey, I remembered my criticism, my other criticism before we, before we end this. It's that in Philadelphia, how is there only one cop? <laughs> every single time, except at the Philly game, every single time someone shows up, it's only that one cop. He's I everywhere. Think he was, I think he was assigned to Pat. I think he was Pat's assigned person or something. Oh, okay. That. That would that would explain it. Can't be sure. Because I was like, this is crazy. Like one flipping cop. Every time something happens, there's just one guy that shows up. Like this is Philly. Come on. Yeah, you've lived in Philly. You know there's more exactly. Than one cop. There are way more than one cop. But if he's if he's more like a parole officer of sorts. Yeah, I think he's I think he's kind of his connectable officer of some kind. But you know, but he's the one that shows up to take Danny back to the the thing too and i just mm -hmm. i don't know it, it felt like it, it almost felt like this family had their own personal police officer and that was like what the heck is going on here but <laughs> they ran out of cast they ran out of cash exactly, exactly. <laughs> they needed to to do that but okay well that's all we've got for this episode uh listeners we hope you've enjoyed it please join us in the facebook group there's links to that in the show notes there's links to that on the website there's links to that all over the place we talk about it all the time just go to facebook and search for feeling film facebook group and come join us and leave your thoughts on the post that is there every every week pinned at the top uh, for the the latest episode. Tell us what your connecting point was. Tell us what you thought about this movie. If it if anything resonated with you or if you had any problems with it or issues with it, we'd love to hear those and talk through them as well. It's a great place to come and just be in community with other film lovers. It's a safe space. Uh, and most everybody gets along and, and we have a great time there and we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you want to talk to me anymore on social media, you can find me everywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. -E. That's Twitter, Facebook, etc. You can also find me tweeting from 
the Feelin' Film account on Twitter, at Feelin' Film. I want to announce, Patrick, if you don't mind, our September Donor Pick episode. The voting has concluded. We did decide to keep September's Donor Pick episode uh, book-to-movie themed to stay, stay in line with what we got going on here. So we gave them five choices, and our amazing patrons overwhelmingly told us that they wanted us to cover Watchmen. So I'm pretty excited. I've read the book, or the graphic novel, rather, several times. I know you've read it several times, and uh, we are even going to bring a special guest on for this episode. I'm not going to tell everybody who that is yet. I guess you'll have to tune in at the end of September to find out. But I can tell <laughs> you that this mini-sode may not be so mini. Uh, it's going to be as long as Dr. Manhattan. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, stop, stop, and gulp. stop. Um, but yeah, so Watchmen, uh, if you want to be part of this group that does pick our monthly donor pick episodes, we've recently revamped our Patreon rewards to make that even more affordable. So for as low as a dollar, you can both support us and help us continue making sure the show runs the way it does. Um, and also be a part of that voting. Uh, go check it out. Patreon.com slash feeling film Aaron. Where can people yes. find you? Well, people can find me at uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at shoeless patch. S H O E L E S S P A T C H. You can find out more about me at any one of those places, see pictures and background info, whatever. And you can also find out more about me at my website. This is patch.com. Wanted to give you guys a heads up this next week. We will have a couple of spoiler-free Feeling It reviews for uh, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and the Lego Ninjago movie. And then it's back to finish out Books to Movie Month with the exception of our donor pick. And we're going to be finishing out our main uh, episode listing with um, with S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, one of my favorite books and movies that I've loved for quite a while. So I'm excited about talking about that to finish out the month. Me too. Um, that's the that's the one you said you haven't seen the movie or read the book, right? That's right. I know nothing about it actually. Nothing. Okay. Zero. Well, so you're an outsider when it comes to knowing this uh, movie. Ne- negative. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I guess so. Well, I I get it confused with the Warriors all the time. The photo. I get keep. I imagine the picture of the movie poster for the Warriors, which I've oh, okay. seen that either. But who knows? Should be <laughs> fun. I like I like discovering new stuff. I'm excited. Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, thanks you guys for listening. We appreciate everything that you guys do for the show, listening being the main thing. And um, I guess we're going to say so long. So until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film.